I'd like to read for us, and then I'll pray. And when he came to the other side of the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him coming out of the tombs, so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them. And the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. The herdsmen fled, and going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw Him, they begged Him to leave their region. Father, would You please be gracious to us this morning? Would You cause us to have soft hearts and open eyes to receive Your Word and see it? Would You comfort the weary one? Would You convict the backslidden one? And would you confront the hard-hearted one? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In Matthew chapter 8, Matthew has been making it clear that Jesus has authority. You can't help but read this chapter and not see Matthew continuing to emphasize and point out the authority that Jesus possesses. Like a clock that strikes 12 and the bell starts to ring, by around the eighth ding, you start to get a little annoyed. But here is a beautiful sound that Matthew is pointing out for us that as the clock struck 12 for Matthew, it's almost as if he's shouting out, Jesus is Lord! Jesus is Lord! Jesus is Lord! Before we get on to our passage this morning, let's just reflect and look back and see just exactly how Jesus is Lord. How Jesus being Lord means that He possesses this authority. Verses 1-17, through 17, we have seen the authority that Jesus possesses over disease, over sicknesses, as a leper man comes to Jesus and pleads with Him. And Jesus, out of the compassion welling up in His heart, touches the leper and the leper is made clean. As the centurion guard comes to Jesus, and pleads with Jesus to heal his servant, and Jesus says that he would, and that he would go to the house, the centurion displays great faith in Jesus, and says, 
wait a second, you don't need to come to my house. You could say the word right now because of the authority that you possess and my servant would be healed. And Jesus heals the centurion's servant. And then Jesus goes to Peter's house and Peter's mother-in-law is in bed with a fever ill. And Jesus touches her and immediately she gets up and starts to serve Him. And we see that the authority that Jesus possesses over diseases and sicknesses causes people to be immediately healed. And right after that, we get the picture of people at nighttime bringing all who were oppressed, all who were sick and with disease to Jesus, and not one of them left still ill. This was to fulfill what Isaiah had said. One thing tends to happen over time, especially in our sinful hearts, we are tempted to take away the authority from Jesus and place it on us. Praise God for modern medicine. But have we not just come and have we not just been confronted that we don't have authority over illnesses and sicknesses quite like we thought we have had? Where two years ago, we were struck with fear and grief We see Jesus' authority only continued to be emphasized by Matthew as then the next part that we see is two people coming to Jesus saying that they want to follow Him. But we see something take place here as one man is too hasty in his decision to follow Jesus and doesn't count the cost and the other man is very casual in following Jesus. And yet, because Jesus has authority, He demands those who follow Him to follow Him with their whole hearts. Not to follow Him for some type of underlying reason or to follow Him on His own terms. You see, what tends to happen when we don't look at Jesus with the authority over people is that we start to assume we have individualistic self-autonomy. That I will follow Jesus when I decide to follow Jesus how I want to follow Jesus. And as soon as we start to say, I will follow Jesus how I want to follow Jesus, we strip away His authority and we don't actually follow Jesus, we follow some type of imaginative Jesus. The next aspect of Jesus' authority that we then see is if Him not healing people was enough or calling people to soul obedience through His authority, we see that He even has authority over nature. Over the winds and seas as the disciples are scared for their lives and they cry out to Him when He is sleeping. And the disciples are amazed that He rebukes the winds and the seas and they're was once a great storm, and now there is a great calm. I don't know about you, but I grew up on the Bay of Green Bay, and whenever there was a storm, the bay didn't just automatically calm down. It took a few hours for the waves to slowly start to calm. 
But the authority that Jesus possesses, that Matthew's account tells us that there was a great calm. We see the authority that Jesus has over nature. And what should this authority of Jesus cause us to do? Well, first, anybody that encounters this type of authority, whether reading God's Word or seeing it for themselves, can't help but tremble at the magnificent power that's being displayed. Being confronted with the reality that Jesus has this type of authority over sickness and disease and people and nature. And is this not what Solomon causes, calls us that the beginning of wisdom and knowledge is the fear of God. But those who are inside the flock, those who follow Christ with their whole heart, who have this intimate relationship with Him, should also have great confidence. And it's here where we come to our passage this morning where our confidence in Christ should only grow all the more. As we see that him and his disciples made it safely across the sea that once posed a threat, they come to the shore and immediately they are met by two demon-possessed men. And these aren't just your atypical demon-possessed men. These are serious demon-possessed men. They were so fierce that people were too afraid to travel that way. They had built up this reputation. They were not friendly to outsiders, and they confront Jesus, and immediately when they confront Jesus, they encounter the Son of God and tremble. What have you to do with us? They cry out to Jesus. Are you going to torment us? Please don't torment us. Send us into this herd of pigs that is off in the distance. And so Jesus does. The demons cause the pigs to commit suicide. The herdsmen go into the town and tell everybody about Jesus. And the most unlikely response happens. The townspeople ask and beg Jesus to leave. The aim of our sermon today, the aim of our passage can be simply stated like this. Because Jesus has authority over demons, we can have confidence in Him. Because Jesus has authority over demons, we can have confidence in Him. We're going to break this up into three points this morning. Verse 28, we can have confidence in His presence. Point two, we can have confidence in His power, which is verses 29 through 32. And point three, verses 33 and 34, we can have confidence in Him over our possessions. I'll say that one more time quickly. Confidence in His presence, verse 28. Confidence in His power, verses 29 through 32. And confidence in Him over our possessions, verses 33 and 34. We come to our first point, 
confidence in His presence. This isn't the type of confidence that we put on ourselves. This isn't the type of confidence where we puff out our chest and say, look at me, I've got this confidence. This is the type of confidence that when you ask a child to go down into the basement and they don't want to, as a dad, you say, then I will go down with you. And immediately their confidence changes. This is the type of confidence that a young child has with his father present or a big brother present. There was nothing that made me more confident than when my older brother was by me. Although he never won a fight in his life, there, will, there was still a sense of confidence that he would protect me. That he was stronger and more powerful than I was, and so he had my back. Because we see as Jesus steps out of the boat, he gets to the other side of the country, that two demon-possessed men meet him. Now, if you were to look at Mark or Luke, we would see a much longer story here. Matthew's more concise, whereas Mark and Luke remember one of these demon-possessed men. It's like when you're in a crowd and you notice a group of people, but there is somebody that is just a little bit more obnoxious and sticks out than the rest. We get a taste and a hint in Mark and Luke what one of these demon-possessed men looked like, how he acted. His name was Legion. These demon-possessed men that confronted Jesus lived in the tombs. These demon-possessed men would have put any modern-day criminal, made them to look like a care bear. Not only did these demon-possessed men live in the tombs, but Mark and Luke tell us that the townspeople were so scared so annoyed with them that they at times tried to chain them to walls. And that through these men's strength, these men would break the chains. These two demon-possessed men would run around naked, day and night, crying out as a constant audible reminder of the demonic presence that was before the people in this town. Not only did they run around naked crying out day and night, but they would cut themselves with stones. This is who confronted Jesus. And we might come to this passage and see that it's Jesus, one man, versus these two demon-possessed men, and think, here is a battle of good and evil taking place, and Jesus is surrounded with evil on all sides of Him. 2 verse 1 doesn't seem like a very fair fight. It seems like that there is darkness all around Jesus. What will happen? I wonder if you've ever experienced a season of life 
where you have felt darkness closing in on you. That no matter which way you turned, darkness continued to assault you. That no matter how fairly you tried to play the game of life, darkness seemed to cheat and go up and over your head just to continue to assault you. And the question comes, why God? Why does darkness continue to assault me? Have I not cried out to You enough? Have I not pled with You? Have I not faithfully come before You? Served You? And yet darkness seems to be my only friend and assaults me from my left, my right, my front, my back, below me and above me. There is not much for me to say other than Scripture is very clear that He will neither leave you nor forsake you in your darkness. You may be thinking, well, but Max, that was Jeremiah saying that to Israel. Does not Jesus tell us Himself that He will send a Helper for us? Who will comfort us? Who will seal us? Who will neither leave us nor forsake us? Do we not as sons and daughters of the Most High King have a seal of adoption of the Holy Spirit placed on us? So that when we come to the great Psalm, Psalm 23, and we read it and we read, when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, You are with Me. We can have great confidence that Christ Himself is with us. That He protects us. That although when in the valley, all we see is darkness from every angle and the clouds don't seem to go away ever, we have a Good Shepherd who still continues to lead us guide us and protect us and who will one day bring us home to a table that is set for us and that all the darkness that assaults us will one day face the judgment oh brother and sister if this is you right now, if darkness seems to be assaulting you, take great confidence in His presence. He is with you. I can't help when I come to this passage but wonder when I've read it if the demon-possessed men knew who they were running to confront. Because as we come to our next point, verses 29 through 32, 
we see that we can have confidence in His power. As the demons run up to Jesus, these fierce demons run to Jesus, they can't help but in a very harsh and condescending, rude, and yet terrified way, cry out. One key word here that Matthew continues to use, or phrase that Matthew continues to use, is, and behold, which we could also say is, and look. Matthew is causing this right here to be more intense than the other things that he's saying. And, and look, these demons cried out, what have you to do with us, O Son of God? Isn't it interesting that here the, the demons were able to confront Jesus or come to Jesus, ask Him, what have you to do with us, and still theologically understand who He was? The Son of God. Isn't it amazing how not only a few hours ago as the disciples were crying out for their lives to be saved, they were unable to understand that Jesus was the Son of God. We must know and understand that even the demons believe and have the intelligence to shudder before Christ and His awesomeness. We must also understand that just merely having an understanding of who Jesus is does not make you His. Being able to articulate or intellectually know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God does not make you one of His sheep. We see this here with the demons. What makes us a part of His fold, His flock, is our love. Where the demons knew and understood who Christ was, they lacked love. Their primary purpose was not to love their neighbor, but to cause confusion and chaos to accuse, to strip down and belittle people. And yet the disciple of God not only understands who Jesus is, but also acts out that understanding in love. As the disciples plead with, or as the demons plead with Jesus, have you come here to torment us before the time? Before the time, that great judgment where judgment would happen on the face of the earth. Where those who are unrighteous and unrepentant and those who do not bow down and confess Jesus Christ as their Lord will be, be judged and sent to the, the fiery lake. They are asking Him, Jesus, have You come to torment us before that time? before the ultimate judgment. If not, then send us into these herd of pigs that are at a distance. And not only that, but we see if. The demons begged Him and saying, if, if you cast us out, 
This if is big for us. This if is important for us because it tells us that here the demonic and the spiritual realm of demons and Satan are like dogs on a leash that can only but be let off if there is a divine okay. We see that in Job. Jude explains just a fraction of what this looks like. We can have great confidence in Christ's power because the demons come to him and shudder. The demons can only do what he says they can do. And with two letters and one word, the demons are given the okay. Jesus tells them to go. And so they came out and went into the pigs, and behold, the whole herd rushed down a steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. Mark and Luke help us understand what this herd looked like. This herd was about 2,000 pigs. First thing that comes to my mind is that is a lot of bacon. The demons could only leave those men by the word and the power and the authority of Christ. And with two simple letters forming one word, go, they are able to. Is this merely just a battle between good and evil that's taking place? Is that what really happens in this lifetime? A battle between good and evil. This is how I've heard it articulated and even lived out at times. That Jesus had the victory today, but it looks like Satan and his motley crew of demons had the victory yesterday. Or could it be that, no, this isn't a battle against good and evil. This is that evil comes in and tries to disrupt the plans of good, which good has already won. That the good, righteous King, our Jesus, has already won. We can go to Revelation and see what this win will look like one day. And so how can this not be just a, a battle against good and evil where one day the demons gain ground and push against the good and then the next day Jesus and His angels push against and they win that day? Because Jesus already tells us. Here in Matthew chapter 8, we see what this authority looks like. And in chapter 28, Jesus just plainly tells His disciples, all authority has been given to Me. This is the type of power that our Savior possesses. This is the authority that He has. All authority. God possesses 
all authority in heaven and on earth. There is not one thing that takes place outside of His decree and will. When the ten plagues happened, it was not Moses just going around waving a staff as if he was some type of lunatic. God was giving him specific directions and it was God who did the ten plagues. When Abraham looked at Sodom and Gomorrah and he saw sulfur rain down on that city, it was not Abraham that chanted something where then all of this sulfur came down. It was God. When the men and women marched around Jericho as a band, as a high school band at a pep rally, and the walls came crumbling down, it was not their bad playing that caused the walls to come down. It was God. It was His power. This is the type of authority and power that Jesus, our Savior, possesses. We can have confidence in Him because He possesses all authority, all power. If you're with us here this morning, and you do not know Christ as your Savior, could I just plead with you for a few minutes to turn to Him? Find your confidence in Christ. Do not find your confidence here on earth. The things here on earth will fade and waste, but Christ will not. Put your hope in Him. Flee from the wrath to come and trust in Christ. We see that He has perfect power. We see that He is not lacking in anything. We can have confidence in His power. And as we move on, we see that we should place our confidence in Christ and not our possessions. We come to verses 33 and 34 and we see the tragic reality of this Gentile town. The herdsmen fled and going into the city told everything. And they emphasized. They emphasized what happened to the demon-possessed men. These men were crazy. These men were naked. They were running around screaming day and night, cutting themselves. And now, as Mark and Luke tell us, they are clothed and in their right mind. But see what happens here in verse 34. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus. All the city. Men, women, and children. And when they saw Him, They begged him to leave their region. Christ's name was spoken. His wonderful works were shared about and told. 
And yet, when the city came and saw the demon-possessed men clothed and sitting in their right mind, the men who caused havoc in that region, they begged with Christ to leave them. This is the tragic reality of putting our hope in our possessions. Caring far more of the things that we have here on earth and seeing the power of Christ displayed. This may be the tragic reality for some of you. As you've went to family members and have said, I've decided to follow Jesus with all I have. And their response is indifferent and cold. Or maybe you find yourself at a spot where right now you feel indifferent and cold. Could it be that your confidence is in your possessions over what Christ is able to do? This is why those people in the city begged Him to leave. 2,000 pigs is a pretty big chunk of change. Crashed their market. What would they do now? that their livelihood ran into the sea and drowned. They would have to start over. They would have to batten down the hatches and get ready to embrace a year of small rations and little income. What stops a person from coming and worshiping Christ? The idols of our hearts. The idols that we store up. Worshiping the creation over the Creator. Caring more about our possessions and livelihood than people made in the image of God. Do your possessions have a stronger, stronger hold on your life than you realize? Do we care more about our retirement funds, our vacations, our toys, our reputation and friends, than having confidence in Christ? Or are we willing to repent and follow Christ, the great Deliverer? The One who will honor all power and all glory is due. The One whom one day every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, have you put your confidence in Jesus as Lord? Or do you merely just look at Him as 
He's a good Savior. And I'm a pretty good, morally good person who loves my possessions. Let us put our hope and confidence in Christ, the compassionate, merciful, kind Redeemer. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for sending Your Son, Jesus, to push back against the darkness, to remind us over and over again that Jesus possesses all authority and that our confidence can be placed and rested in Him. We pray this in His name.